Welcome to another episode of Hat Collecting, the show where we talk about the many different metaphorical hats that people wear in our lives because no one does just one thing and everyone has a story. And this is the show where you get to share those stories. Uh, I am your host, Lacey Artemis, a creative Jill of all trades in Toronto, Canada. And today I am joined by Kat, who is an artist, a facilitator, a counselor, and a bat enthusiast. Kat's pronouns are they and them. Welcome to the show, Kat. Thank you, Lacey. I'm so excited to finally be on your show. Yes, uh, we, uh, we've we been trying this for a couple of weeks and my, my health has not cooperated, but finally it's it's happening. So, yay. Um, yeah, so the first question that I, the kind of icebreaker that I like to warm up the show with is, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Russia, uh, the city that I was born in. It's called Chelyabinsk. Um, and that's where I spent like the first 10 years of my life. Uh, so it's not that small of a city. It's like the seventh largest city in Russia by population. And you'd kind of be surprised. It's pretty industrially advanced. They have like a tractor plant that supplied like tanks for the Second World War effort. And it's just like an industrial city. Uh, so its claim to fame is that it was struck by a meteor in 2013. And there's like reaction videos of people just like, you know, going, oh, you know, whatever. So like uh, people from Chelyabinsk are seen to be as kind of like stoic and unsophisticated uh, as like a stereotype. But I don't know. I don't think it's all that true. I'm going to take a moment now to do a quick land acknowledgement. Uh, Toronto or Takaranto is located on the traditional unceded territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations, the Huron-Wendat, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Anishinaabe. This is a dish with one spoon treaty territory, and we are uninvited visitors on this land. You can find out more about that at native-land.ca, and despite the name, that actually covers the whole world and not just Canada. So that's native-land.ca for the listeners and it's on the screen for the viewers. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Uh, something I like to acknowledge because it's it's very uh, important. Um, but with that said, uh, we're going to get into the kind of the, it's really the core of, of what this show is about, what it's kind of become about. Um, it is called Hat Collecting. We'd like to talk about the different things that people do. So um, can you tell our audience a little bit more about the things that you do and how you got into them? I'm going to narrow down the things I do because I have to. So like with art, it's like I've always loved drawing and making things, but I got discouraged from pursuing it as, you know, as anything uh, uh, like as, as a profession. And uh, then like when I was really burnt out in my 20s, I had the opportunity to go back to school and I'm like, I'm going to do my BFA, like nothing, nothing, nothing really matters anymore. Like, you know, life can't get, you know, life can't get much worse, but I have this chance to like go to art school. And then I got accepted and I was like, wow, I'm in, you know, I'm in art school. So since then I've tried to do like explore photography and uh, like sculpture, fibers, street art. I'm really like, I really, I'm not married to any one medium. I've been doing textiles lately and I've had some, um, I've had some art shows. I've sold some of my art. I've been hired on to do art. So I think even though like I can't call my art career like commercially successful, it's, you know, it, it's still something that I'm very proud of. And, you know, I've come a long way from, you know, wishing I could do art to actually doing it. As for facilitation, um, like I really love supporting people in their learning. 
And I haven't found traditional learning environments to be welcoming of people like me. Uh, so, uh, and it wasn't really conducive to my growth as a person. I just kind of felt excluded, even though I was that kid who, you know, answered questions in school before they were asked. And I was kind of like, sometimes I was a teacher's pet. Sometimes I was the teacher's nemesis, depending on the teacher <laughs> asking too many questions. Uh, so, um, I felt that, you know, like the whole teacher student dynamic, something was off about it as well. And I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to do things differently. <laughs> and that was an empty threat for like a long time because I started off with tutoring, like reproducing the exact same kind of like, uh, you know, the exact same techniques that were used on me. Then eventually I was like, hmm, I do better when I share something with others that I'm really passionate about and when I let people come to their own conclusions. So I got into facilitating mostly art sometimes some social justice topics or, you know, psychoeducational topics. Now we go on to counseling. So the first undergrad degree that I got was psychology because I was looking for answers. I'm like, something is up with me and I don't know what and I really, really, really need to know. So I've always had a really hard time with other people. Uh, and, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know why I had a sense, okay, like I'm a little bit different. And I don't seem to understand them. They don't seem to understand me or include me. Uh, so uh, I'm like, I'm going to study the hell out of that. <laughs> so I did. And, you know, it didn't really, uh, like, it didn't really agree with me what I was learning. So I kind of abandoned it for a while. And then, uh, you know, I went uh, from psychology, I went to hair school. So that's another hat that I've kind of hung up since then. Uh, teaching ESL also didn't really uh, work out for me for many reasons. But, you know, throughout my life, I've had a few really excellent therapists. And after a while, I'm like, hmm, this is something that I would probably be good at because I've st spent like since early childhood, like observing and studying people and trying to understand, you know, <laughs> why they work the way they do. And I also just like love people and really care about people. When I was studying to become a therapist, I realized that, hey, you know, I have some unresolved rescuer complexes in place. And then I was like, okay, I got to work through that a little bit because I want to, you know, uh, I want to be, you know, I want to be good at what I do. I want to have healthy boundaries. So that's about, I'm going to wrap that piece up now because I want to talk about bats. Bats. Bats are awesome. So my love for bats got ignited around my late 20s. I don't know why. Like, but I love like, I love these marvelous flying mammals. Like they make my heart swell. I like looking at their pictures. I like thinking about them. One of my dreams is to be kind of like hugged by a flying fox. And I know that we shouldn't touch wildlife. But you know, I'm a dreamer. I got like a rabies vaccination. <laughs> Maybe one day bat rehab when I retire. Uh, I have my bat encyclopedias. Uh, I have this uh, bat book signed by the author. So, yeah, uh, there's actually more, <laughs> more bat books. Uh, anyway, and I have bat tattoos on different parts of my body, which I'm not going to show you. 
And I, uh, I, I appreciate that because, as as you know, we do try to keep this show uh, on the PG side of things. But um, yeah, thank you so much for for sharing all of that. Uh, I definitely resonate with a few of the things that you said. Did, is there any uh, like big bat misconception that you want to uh, address? Oh, there's a ton of bat misconceptions. Like, there's only like out of like more than 1,300 known species of bats, only three are sanguinivorous. So, like, they eat blood. Only three of them are vampires, and they're like actually the coolest one because they're socialists and they take care of each other. Like, they adopt orphans. They have reciprocal altruism because if one of them like starves for two days, it dies. So they share their food with each other, and like they remember who shared food with them. So you know, like the end. Like some bats are solitary and some bats live, like some bats roost together. Bats make friends for like many, many. <laughs> okay, you tricked me. <laughs> I mean, bats are, bats are awesome. You know, they're just like, they're so diverse. They're not just one thing. They don't get tangled in your hair. Although I wouldn't mind a bat tangled in my hair right now. <laughs> but you know, like, and they're not blind and like, even the bats who can see, they can still echolocate, you know, how humans can echolocate. If you've ever like yelled down a big empty hallway, you would like, no, like we're not good at echolocation, but we still can. Anyway, so <laughs> Lacey got me on a tangent. Congratulations. I mean, this show is all about learning and, and hey, I, I'm all for learning more about bats. So, hey, I don't mind. <laughs> The next question here, the sub question of that question, I should say, is what would you say as many of the as many of those hats that you mentioned as you want to address, but what would you think uh, what do you say is uh, like kind of the biggest misconception or misunderstanding about each of those? The big one uh, is that like the devaluation of art. People don't really value it all that much. And you know, if I could afford to only do art for the rest of my life, this is what I would probably do. Uh, so um, like when people allude to my livelihood as a hobby or something fun, it's like, feels really hurtful and dismissive. Uh, so like, it's like, it's integral, it's central to my wellness and it's a huge part of my identity. So like at one point I stopped making fun and cute stuff just so that people wouldn't say that my art is fun and cute. And, you know, like, then I realized, all right, what am I doing? Like, I'm only hurting myself with this choice. So, you know, I kind of got over it and I started doing it, uh, you know, I started doing it again. Therapy, like there's this underlying assumption that like therapists have their lives all figured out. Well, that's true to a certain extent, because I have done a lot of work trying to be, you know, more aligned with my values and just healthier in general. Uh, like you do need a certain degree of stability to be able to do that work safely and to be helpful to others. Uh, but therapists are totally human and they're not immune to the mess that that entails. <laughs> Given that, I want to say that boundaries are super important in this work because my natural inclination is to fix whatever's going wrong. And because of, you know, this the former Soviet Union, uh, and then, you know, non-Soviet Union uh, transition upbringing, uh, I can bend or break the rules that stand in the way. I understand now that, you know, that's not always wise. And 
Like I do my best to respect the client's autonomy and self-determination and let them determine their direction because I can't do the healing for other people. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to let people do their own. Well, pretty much always you have to let people do their own healing. But sometimes, you know, you just can't assume that you know what's best for another person. Absolutely. That's a, uh, that's a lesson I have actually kind of had to learn again recently myself. <laughs> um, it's, it kind of shocked me when I realized that I know there's that phrase that, you know, good intent, that the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And it, it seems very counterintuitive that when you think you're like actually helping someone or trying to help them and what you're doing actually could be like, having a very detrimental effect on them and potentially even yourself. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I just bought a bunch of new books recently to, to kind of brush up on some of that stuff. <laughs> um, oh yeah. We have that conversation at some point because yeah. I am passionate about books. <laughs> but with that, I guess we will move on to the next question to keep the show rolling along. Uh, the next question on the list here, which the viewers and listeners will be familiar with, uh, if you're a regular viewer or listener, um, what when you were a child or when you were young, do you remember what you wanted to be or to do when you grew up? Uh, yeah, so I wasn't really consistent. So and I changed my mind all the time. But like some professions that kind of like stick out uh, as private investigator or detective, like I love Detective Colombo because I guess I was a lot like him <laughs> as in like you know sticking my nose where it doesn't belong and you know an odd fashion sense uh wanted to be a fashion designer uh wanted to be an advertising copywriter I remember like uh you know hanging out in my dad's office and just like writing those like ads like with pen and paper and like I was about six, maybe. So like my writing wasn't like any good. It must have been hilarious. I wish that that that's got saved somewhere. And I wanted to rescue cats. So like I really wanted to like you know protect all animals. That's that's cool. Like and and I can definitely relate to my childhood dream kind of thing changing a lot throughout my life and. Um, there's still lots of hats that I hope I eventually get to wear. Um, we will see. There's still lots of time, hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah, so the the next question here, um, you don't have to say your age if you don't want to, but uh, there's this cultural idea that I always harp on uh, that you know, that we're supposed to have our lives figured out by the time we're 30. And for a lot of people, that's not the case. And so I've kind of spun this question around a little bit differently than what I used to ask. And now I'm curious um, more, what age were you at when you think that you kind of found the path that you were happy with or that you wanted to continue following for a while? Um, or if that moment hasn't come yet, at what age or kind of where do you think you'll be when you get to uh 30 or whatever <laughs> yeah well i'm actually 33 now and i don't have everything figured out yet uh kind of far from that so i've had quite a few detours and like i tried on and hung up many hats uh like hairstyling teaching esl doing photography some you know like some 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 other things uh like i i think i've done like maybe 30 different gigs in my life like different kinds of gigs uh but anyway like some hats didn't fit like i think i lost my job as a telemarketer 
like on the first day. <laughs> yeah. So um, there have been certain choices that I've made at different ages that I've kind of come to appreciate. So uh, when I went to art school in my late 20s, that felt right. Like I was older than about half the students, but I didn't feel too out of place. You know, like uh, my purple hair fit right in. Like, you know, like most, like about half the people didn't have their like natural hair color. So, you know, uh, and there were so many like really talented people who actually, you know, cared about art and like were able to appreciate you know my work and I was able to see theirs and so it was kind of like inspirational working together um so I also became more involved in social justice and activism at that time uh, mostly around mental health and uh disability and uh so I was really struggling to decide what to do next as I was like finishing off my degree because like uh, if I were to go for a master's in fine arts, which is something that I still kind of want to do maybe, but I doesn't seem realistic to me right now, given like everything else in my life. Uh, like I knew that getting a job would be very, very difficult. And, you know, uh, I wouldn't be able to change my life the way that I did if I went that route, uh, that, that like in that direction. So uh, I did a lot of soul searching and I was trying to like, I was asking my friends, okay, what do you think my strengths are? I was talking to professors, different mentors, like whoever I could find, because I needed to know, all right, like, you know, I know I have these passions. I know I have these talents, but I have no idea what, like how to survive, given the fact that some of the things are not valued as much as others. So somebody suggested social work, and I didn't really know much about social work, uh, but I realized that, hey, I could do counseling uh, with a social work degree. And then I'm like, all right. So that captured my attention. And like when I went to social work uh, school for my master's of social work, you know, that felt pretty right. So I guess like one thing that I can say is that, you know, uh, with time, like by the age of 30, I've become really, I've become much better at understanding what I want and what I need and what my strengths are. So like my 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 teens like I'm not even gonna go there like my 20s I spent a lot of time feeling like the turbulence and confusion and just feeling like I don't really belong anywhere or with anyone and you know that used to be the state I lived in and now the majority of time I'm like all right like you know <laughs> things are okay I'm content I have good people in my life yeah, I would say kind of fairly similar for me, I guess. Uh, I am 36, uh, actually very soon to be turning 37. And uh, just literally kind of last year, 2020, the, the worst year that most of us have experienced. And it was there was tough parts in it for me, too. But uh, a lot of a lot of positives, uh, thankfully, in my case. And um, I'm still not quite where I ultimately want to be yet, but I do feel like I'm definitely on my way and it's kind of achievable in some form. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, you, I guess you kind of touched on this a little bit because I like to ask about what obs like, what was like the biggest obstacle that you think kind of prevented you from getting here or to your path, uh, sooner? 
Like, I don't know about the biggest. Sometimes there are no role models and there were definitely uh, no role models for, you know, non-binary folks who are, you know, who identify as uh, neurodivergent. And like, you know, these words didn't even exist. Hey, and like, sometimes, um, you know, like, I know that like, you know, my brain is wired differently from the majority. I've come to appreciate that. But you know, it's not always appreciated. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that makes it difficult for me to, you know, um, I guess, uh, belong, because like, I've gotten I've gotten okay at fitting in, but this isn't where I want to spend my time. I don't want to be like rammed into <laughs> a place where I don't feel like, you know, I can thrive. So, you know, and like, you know, just some things that happened um, in my, you know, some things that happened in my life. I think that they have taught me things that haven't served me later on. You know, I have trouble accepting, you know, I have trouble accepting um, love from people like, you know, compliments make, <laughs> make me feel really uncomfortable sometimes. Cause I don't know if somebody's trying to like befriend me and make fun of me or, you know, like I don't really, uh, like, I don't really know, uh, sometimes where people are coming from and I veer on the side of, all right, like this is dangerous. And then sometimes, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm going to let myself open up and guess what? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because uh, I know that we do share uh, some neurodivergence uh, of the same type, and it's um, I've been thinking about this a little bit lately because my my roommate is actually um, uh, I and kind of compared to me a much more a kind of private reserved person, and I tend to be an oversharer, and there's a few reasons for that, and kind of one of the the kind of main reasons that I have noticed over the years that if you're vulnerable with somebody first, if you're like the first one to be vulnerable, it, it tends to encourage other people to feel more like, oh, well, if they're willing to, to be that, you know, open uh, or whatever, then then I feel a little bit more safe and, uh, and, and willing to kind of reciprocate. It doesn't always happen, but uh, I've kind of found as a, um, I don't want to say a side effect, but uh, I, I have noticed now like, I, I probably do overshare too much. And so when I meet people who are very like reserved and very kind of private, it, it kind of puts me off a little bit, but like, that's my problem, not theirs. Um, but it's just something that's been kind of on my mind a little bit lately that uh, you made me think of. Um, but yeah, role models. Absolutely. Um, that's something I can also echo many of the things you're saying. I definitely echo. <laughs> um but yeah, with that said, I think we will move on to the next question here. Um, so I've kind of rolled two questions now into one, or at least I'm asking them together now, I should say. Um, but so it looks at these ideas uh, of like that as adults, as grownups, that we're not supposed to goof around and be silly unless we are, you know, with kids or unless it's our literal job to goof around and be silly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people also think, you know, self-care, I think, is becoming more uh, kind of known and more accepted as not just being this like, you know, five-star pampering kind of thing, but it's still something a lot of people feel guilty about doing. And so I want to ask the two, the, the two-headed question, what was the last silly or playful thing that you did that didn't involve children? And what was the last act of self-care that you did, no matter how small? Mm -hmm. So um, like, I like puns and wordplay. 
uh, but only the ones I make. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sometimes uh, like when something's going on, I usually make like a poem that's like full of like swear words to describe it. Or like I make up silly songs about my cat and I sing it uh, to her. Uh, and sometimes my friends get to like hear or see the poems and stuff. Uh, maybe I'll send you one later about uh, um, about work. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that's kind of like that's and that can be self care too because it's self expression. And I find that like I love being in my own space because I can say or do like like be be as silly as I want in front of my cat, and she's gonna judge, but I don't care. Uh, so. Uh, and as for like, um, I guess, uh, self-care, um, I actually have like an artwork here. So self-care is like a really big work in progress. And um, because, you know, it's it's not as simple as, you know, like we already know it's not bubble baths. Like sometimes self-care is taking out the trash. Sometimes self-care is, you know, um, like uh moving outside of a really like changing the relationship that you have with someone so that you are not hurt by your own expectations you know so many like so many different acts uh so this is my like non-serious artwork that i've made that exemplifies one part of self-care so learning to say no like this is a soft no by the way See puns and wordplay. So learning the learning to say no has been really transformative. And uh, like I made that soft no like about a year ago. And <laughs> it's actually funny that you were talking about oversharing because like I was going to say that uh, my act of self-care for today is going to be like not diving deep into my mental health history uh, because I can overshare sometimes and I want to build better boundaries. Cause I think that like, you know, I want to really own my story. And, uh, that means that, you know, that means not giving it away to like to everyone. And, you know, but yet at the same time, um, I don't want to say, but, and at the same time, you know, uh, I am much more accepting about like, you know, this whole journey and I'm not ashamed that I struggled at some point. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and thank you for sharing that. Um, so I know that we both share a love of learning. Uh, I can't remember if you actually mentioned it once the show started or if it was in the pre-show lobby, but we both love to learn. And it's a big part of why I created this show and why I do a lot of things that I do. Uh, and so this next question is about that. Um, what is the last new thing that you learned, whether it was a skill or a piece of information? And what is something that you would still like to learn? I'm slowly learning about investments. Yeah, how about that hat? <laughs> so I've experimented with buying some cheap stocks through an app. And uh, what is something that you would still like to learn? I like to learn more about managing my money because like, I've been putting it off and um, like avoiding it and it's exacerbating my anxiety. Like I haven't been making, you know, uh, I haven't been making uh, a lot of money for most of for most of my life. I've just been like kind of like barely scrapping by and like, you know, depending on <laughs> like depending on others. And, you know, that's left an imprint. And like the way that like, you know, the way that I've undervalued my work 
because, you know, I didn't used to charge uh, enough for my art or for my time or anything. So like only now am I starting to, you know, am I starting to notice, all right, like, you know, I'm actually breaking even here. <laughs> so um, in order to keep that momentum up, I need to know how to, you know, how to operate in this capitalist <laughs> world, right? And uh, I know that I have a lot of misconceptions about money still to break down. Like, you know, I didn't believe and act as if my time was valuable. And now I do. That is such an important lesson to learn. And that's one that uh, I have also kind of learned um, in, in different ways in the last few years, especially in attempts to be like a freelancer and now kind of um, trying to like, you know, make art and like I have a merch store, which has designs of mine in it. And, you know, when having that conversation with, with other kind of creators of like, well, how do you, how do you like price your stuff? Because you think you're just like, okay, well, if we say, you know, $30 an hour or whatever, and it took me two hours to make this, then it should cost $60. But then it's like, well, no, because you, you have to factor in all the time that you put in getting your skill to the point that you can do this. So it's not just the time that actually took you to make it. It's the time it's that time plus however many like years and hours and, and labor and materials. And so that was an interesting, uh, different way to, to look at it for me. Yeah. And like now being like, uh, cause I'm getting much more into like multimedia and like video and streaming and stuff. And that's, it's almost like, kind of monetizing my personality in a way, which is both exciting and terrifying at the same time. Like I. Yeah. What you said, it's uh, it's kind of funny. So like for me, uh, a lot of people notice me um, and I have no idea who they are because I have, um, I have mild prosopognosia, which is, I have trouble recognizing faces. <laughs> so I have this, you know, I have this, I'm famous experience without any fame. <laughs> Yeah, that's I, I don't think I actually knew that about you, that you have uh, prosopagnosia, aka face blindness. Um, that's that's I just learned something. And that is something I, I know at least one other person that has that too. And that is fascinating to me because I sort of have like the opposite problem. And with names, on the other hand, that's where I seem to struggle. <laughs> The next question here is, this is one that tends to get some pretty interesting answers, no pressure. <laughs> um, what would you say are your two or two of your most dissimilar hats and hats in this case being skills or interests? That took me forever to figure out. And I had like different options, but I think uh, skepticism and spirituality like and I'm like I'm a huge skeptic and I love learning about cults and scams and quackery and like manipulation and all of that. Like I'm fascinated by multi-level marketing companies, you know, pickup artist culture, self-improvement schemes, like all of that. Like I, you know, like I absorb knowledge about it and it's like, you know, uh and sometimes I'm like, you know, oh, how could people fall for that? But I also have a lot of compassion for people who are looking for belonging and, you know, that they're they become vulnerable to you know thing things like that so like i understand but it's also kind of like you know it's always intrigued me and um you know like i love debunking things for people um but at the same time uh, i've developed like a deep connection to spirituality and 
you know, I have this sense that like things in the universe are interconnected and like things are kind of like irreducibly complex, but there's like, you know, some beautiful sacred patterns of like everything. I feel like the next when we when we hang out again uh, post COVID, that that's something I would love to kind of dig deeper on with you. Because um, actually, somebody else that I know gave a similar answer, and um, someone else close to me uh, has kind of a, a bit of a similar thing too. And it's um, it's it's interesting for sure. There's a new question here. I'm going to try. I don't know if it's going to stick in the show, but I thought it would potentially be interesting. Actually, I should give the, the the preface or the the premise of this question before I ask it. Um, so this one comes from this idea that a lot of the things that we learn in school, we don't actually really ever use in our, in our lives. Like, you know, you learn math, but if you don't go into like finance or engineering, like, do you really use math very often? Like not, not too much, um, or at least not like, you know, algebra or whatever. But um, I do think, so I was curious about this thing of like, you know, it doesn't have to be something that you learned in school, just anything that you kind of learned as part of what you do. And, and like, is there any unexpected way uh, or notably unexpected way that you ended up applying that that skill or that knowledge uh, to something you wouldn't have thought? Yes. <laughs> but um, so like there's been like so many like uh, I think I do that pretty much all the time because I just like defy expectations as a human. Uh, so it's hard to think of specific examples, but I have thought of a specific example. So there was one time when I was learning as a, when I was working as a receptionist at a hair salon. And the reason why I did that is because like, A, I wanted to get a discount on getting my hair relaxed because like it's a fortune. And B, I wanted to uh, challenge myself to do something outside of my comfort zone. And I have some pretty big phone anxiety. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was working part-time there and the client comes in and her pants fall off and like we, the button is right there. Uh, like it fell on the floor. So, you know, like, uh, she has, you know, she has other stuff to do like after her hair appointment and everything. So, uh, and like, you know, like she basically, basically, uh, I'm like, how do I fix that? And I don't have a lot of time. And you know how, like, uh, when you're doing hair extensions, there's, like, a curved needle that you sew things on with? So I found a needle for hair extensions, and I used a synthetic strand of hair to sew the button back onto the person's pants while they were, like, I think they they were, like, they got the dye in their hair, so they had to wait anyway. And I was just, like, sewing with, like, a fake piece of, but it held on. You know, like it's still like, you know, it's still technically needle and thread. That is a fantastic answer. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to keep things kind of rolling along here. Um, the next question, um, it has to do with uh, kind of like our, again, this idea, another cultural idea of, um, you know, that like night owls are more creative or that, um, you know, that everyone's kind of, or not everyone, but most people are kind of forced into like, you know, the kind of nine to five structure, whether it works for them or not. Um, and I'm curious, and I guess you can answer this. You can answer it for both cases if you want, but I say like, before the pandemic, what was your schedule generally like? And did you have a peak time of day? I don't 
think so. Like, I mean, my peak time of day changed according to my health and, you know, just like age. Uh, like I, I think like, I mean, I spent most of my teens and twenties being pretty depressed and, you know, I had a lot of trouble with mornings. Uh, and, you know, like I've had sleep issues from time to time and, you know, like, so I wouldn't say that I have, that I had a peak time of day. The pandemic changed my life in many ways, but then like my routine has changed regard, like, you know, from time to time, regardless of the pandemic. Yeah. So the next question here, uh, we're talking about relationships, specifically close relationships. And I kind of found what I was trying to get at. again. Some of these questions when I, when I first start asking them, uh, it takes me a few times to, to figure out what I'm actually trying to get at. And so I figured out with this question, what I was ultimately trying to get at. And so it revolves around this idea and I've come up with names for it. So we've got hype hats and heavy hats and hype hats are people who are, um, who are supportive and, and encouraging and they hype you up and they just want to see you succeed. And then there's heavy hats who are people who tend to, you know, drain you and, and make you doubt yourself and, and kind of hold you back. And so I'm curious, uh, and you don't have to like name specific people, but even if you just want to give examples, um, who uh, have you had in your life? Can you think of examples of like one really good hype hat person and then one heavy hat person? Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm going to subvert this question a little bit. Uh, sorry. And thank you for letting me. Uh, so, um, you know, like you don't have to be in someone's life for very long to have like a significant and uh, formative influence on them. So when I was about 14 years old, um, like a fresh immigrant, like I came here when I was 13, like in the last few months of being 13. And by the age of 14, I got this job selling ice cream from like a freezer bike. That's what I would do in parks. And like, it wasn't, it wasn't a well compensated job. Sometimes like for the entire day, I like I would get like, sometimes I would get like 10, 10 cents commission off of like one ice cream. So you know, my whole income for the day would be like five bucks. Anyway, um, so that's just like to set the scene. So um, I'm selling my ice cream, like I'm 14 and a man in his early 20s approaches me and like he starts asking me about my life, you know, what I do and like, and you know, a lot of listeners and watchers are like, hmm, I know where this is going. <laughs> and um I mean, generally, yes, those experiences, you know, those experiences are also, those experiences also happen, but surprise, surprise, this is not what happened. So uh, this man actually, like one time he brought me sunscreen and multivitamins. And another time um, he brought me a bunch of really good professional art supplies, like a portfolio case, uh, some paint, some acrylic paints that like some decent brushes, stuff that I could never have afforded on my own. Cause at that time I was painting with like a dried out gouache kit on like pieces of cardboard. And, uh, you know, like I wasn't really encouraged, uh, by my family to do art. So like nobody really wanted to. So like, imagine like really decent supplies that I had like, no, like I didn't even know existed. Back then, I didn't really know how to respond to kindness. And because of my, like, you know, uh, phase blindness and the way that I didn't remember, like, I don't remember his name. I don't remember what he looked like. 
um, all I have is like, he took some pictures of me and my cat who was by the way, like the same age as me and my best friend. So <laughs> he like immigrated with us. Uh, so yeah. Um, and, uh, like I can't look this person up. I'm so, so, so deeply thankful to the fact that for the fact that he did show me, you know, he did show me kindness and he believed in me. I have, you know, almost nothing to go uh, with, like to find that person again. And like, I don't know if I even should, you know, if I even should try, like all I have is that I think he went to OCAD and like at one point he photographed me with my cat and, you know, uh, I've been kind of thinking over the years that I want to thank him in person. But on the other hand, you know, like sometimes we don't get the opportunity and it's okay. Like it's okay to not have everything that we want. And uh, the heavy hat, <laughs> again, on the theme that you don't have to be in someone's life for very long uh, to, you know, to really influence them. So like in grade eight or nine, uh, our teacher was asking, uh, like the homeroom teacher or whatever, was asking us uh, like who we wanted to be when we grew up. And my term came up and I'm like, I said, oh, an artist. Uh, so this one kid uh, found it really hilarious, I guess, like how I said it, because like I did have more of an accent then. Um, and like, uh, you can't see that, but I talk with my hands a lot and I fidget. So he would like, he would like, uh, like be a, like mock me for the rest of the school year, like in hallways, like artist or something like a very, very, um, like, I mean, even as I say that now, it's just like, you know, I can feel that in my chest. Uh, so, you know, uh, like it's been, you know, I've been recalling that sometime from time to time for like many, many years. And, you know, every time I recall that, every time I would recall that, um, I would like imagine him like in a like boring dead end job as a way of like getting my revenge. And then <laughs> uh, lately, I haven't really needed to do that. Like, I think I've forgiven him. But I do remember his first name still after like, you know, after all these years. And, you know, like it's, it's cool because like our brains have a negative bias. We naturally, you know, we naturally drift towards remembering things that are potentially harmful and dangerous for us so that we survive. So thank you, brain. But no thanks, but still thanks. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's a really good point that you made about uh, yeah, people definitely don't have to be in your life for very long to have a profound effect positively or negatively. And um, like, I'm, I'm glad that I think that that context probably uh, maybe helped with that answer. Um, I don't know, but um, thank you for sharing that either way. And uh, I, I hope that maybe one day you do figure out who that first person was. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll continue on now. The next question, and again, this we don't have to go. You, can, you only share what you are comfortable sharing here. Um, and so the question it has to do with mental health and or even general health. Like it doesn't only have to be uh, mental health. But um, I like to ask my guests what... Uh, what struggles have they had with their health, um, usually focused on mental health, and uh, how have they worked through them? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
like this is the year where I've really started to see like all of the dividends from like years of therapy and self-healing work that I've been doing because, you know, things happened and I was thinking like, you know, things happened and there were some losses that I've experienced and like, you know, my routine fell apart and I was more okay than I thought I would be. And it wasn't like the, like some of it was just like crisis coping because, you know, my brain is very good at like at dealing with crises and kicking into high gear because, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's what my people have been doing for centuries. Um, I am a former Soviet Union mixed uh, Jewish person. So, you know, like uh, my ancestors wisdom lives on in me. And uh, so does their trauma, I think. So, you know, like I was doing, you know, I was doing not okay, but I was also doing more okay than I thought. Being able to do these things for myself and finally learning how to like show up for myself and appreciate my own company has been so helpful. And, uh, you know, so about my overall mental health journey, like once in a while, I discover a concept or an idea that maps onto my experience. And for a while, like it becomes my theory of everything. When I first uh, like uh, discovered that I had ADHD, you know, everything was, oh, it's because I have ADHD, you know, like, oh, like this makes sense now. So like there have been certain things, like certain, certain things that have like kind of helped connect the dots for me. Uh, like, so first it was learning about complex trauma and how that mon manifests. Then it was about uh, attachment theory. So basically like how our brains are wired to relate to each other. And then also the idea of neurodiversity. So like that all brains, uh, like not all brains are different. I mean, they, of course they are, but like, there are certain patterns and brain differences, and we do need that diversity in order for uh, our species to really thrive. So, you know, like these ideas have shaped my own mental health practice, things that I seek out for myself to promote my own health, but also like uh, my practice as a therapist, things I offer others so that they can use these tools to, you know, to further their own mental health. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, if we, I, I, for some reason, I didn't realize that you uh, were ADHD. I, I know that we, uh, I believe we share autism in common. Um, and, but that doesn't surprise me because the people that I tend to get along with the best are other people with, you know, a little more than a little bit of neurodiversity. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I think I've talked about this a little bit on previous episodes and I actually, for, for new people to the show, um, if you would like to hear my own answers to all of these questions, minus the new ones that I'm trying on this episode. Um, if you go back very recently, I did a, a solo episode episode where I just answered all of my own questions. Um, so you can get a little bit more of uh, my background from there. But I, uh, I was originally diagnosed uh, with with Asperger's syndrome back uh, in kind of the early, the early 2010s. And again, it kind of did make a lot of things make sense. And more recently, I kind of figured out like, oh, yeah, the ADHD is is like the more I read about it, the more I was like, okay, hey, yeah, this is making a lot of sense too. And in the last couple of years, I felt that the ADHD seems to be my more prevailing experience lately. 
Um, and I'm connecting with a lot more other ADHD people lately. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, I don't think that I don't still, you know, have the, the other, uh, autism, but, uh, they, they make an interesting couple inside my cranium. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, to kind of, as I sort of alluded to earlier, um, uh, I, I, someone, uh, so one of my friends is, uh, currently in, in a hospital seeking mental health, uh, help and support. And, uh, I've been quite like, I've heard a lot of horror stories about, uh, how mental health, uh, like particularly like in hospitals, if it's a, um, a building or an institution that's not really meant for that. Like in here in Toronto, we have CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, which it's right in the name that that's part of its, I guess, like mandate and stuff. Um, And I've heard a lot of times that if you go to just a regular hospital with mental health crises, that they, they don't tend to be very helpful and they can often make it worse. And my friend is, uh, from what I heard from them, the, the first, you know, few days, certainly that seemed to be the case. And um, it was very, very upsetting and distressing to, to hear. And, and I had kind of reached out to Kat because I knew about their uh, kind of experience and said, like, you know, what can I possibly do here? Because this is, I'm really concerned for their, their well-being. And, um, and like, they once they're kind of in, especially right now, hospitals are not just allowing people to, like, have visitors. So my friend was essentially kind of inaccessible and stuck in a situation that was really uh, distressing for them. And um, I, I don't know if I have like a particular question <laughs> for this. I, um, I guess if there's any like insight or information that you would want to share kind of in relation to that and, and what people should know, or maybe what they should expect if they do seek help for mental health crisis, that is not through like a, I guess, yeah, that's like not through either like a dedicated organization for mental health or through like a, you know, private psychiatrist or something who you've been referred and you, you kind of trust the, that um, relationship, I guess. This is a bit of a curveball because like having, you know, I work, you know, I work in the mental health field and um, I work in some of the, you know, I have worked and volunteered and participated in some of the very, like, very institutions that, you know, that uh, have also, also have very, like, troubling histories of, like, how, you know, how clients are, you know, how clients are treated. And, uh, like, you know, there's, there's definitely, like, um, there's certain, uh, there's certain situations where, a hospital might be, you know, a hospital might be kind of like a last resort that does help people stabilize themselves and save, you know, and really like, you know, save their lives. But like, there is always a kind of like a balance because yeah, lots of hospitals are not equipped for, you know, mental health care. Things are changing, however. So, you know, there are, you know, there are some positive changes to look forward to. And, you know, like there are people in the hospital who really do have like, you know, who have experience and who care and who see you. I mean, these people might be dealing with burnout because (laughs) this uh, like it's a reality. But like uh, I wouldn't say like, oh, you know, never go to, you know, never go to the hospital. If you feel like your life is in like if you feel like your life is in imminent danger and, you know, like the 
thoughts, um, the thoughts that you're having are overpowering, like going to a hospital is miles better than, you know, taking your own life. However, however, <laughs> like there are certain things like, uh, like, you know, for example, like it's, it might be better, like, you know, to rely on your peer network or to have, you know, to rely on a therapist or a crisis line when you like, you know, when you have a mental health, like, you know, when you're having a panic attack, for example, because like, if you're having a panic attack, you go into the hospital, you have to wait in the waiting room for two hours, that will cure your panic attack, maybe, <laughs> but you know, um, and I know that like different places are different. And it also like how you get treated at a hospital also depends on how you present. But you know, like, a lot of time, like, I think that you know, one of the reasons why I started my own um, mental health practice is because the needs of certain people with certain experiences aren't being met by the healthcare system. And, you know, the mainstream, uh, you know, the mainstream psychology, psychiatry, like counseling. So, you know, I try to, like, it's my mission to you know, give people a bit of a different experience. Uh, I think that, you know, peer support can be really, really valuable. Uh, so like as a mental health resource as well, um, I do encourage like when people have, when people are learning about ADHD and autism, like there is amazing communities full of, you know, like-minded, like literally like-minded individuals <laughs> uh, where you can learn, uh, you know, when you, where you can learn about uh, things in a neurodiversity, positive, empowering way, rather than from like a deficit-based medical model. And I find like that, that can be a lot more healing and helpful to people than to go in a hospital in distress, because a lot of what we know about mental like a lot of what we know about autism is from traumatized autistic people like autistic people do not have to endure the meltdowns if their environment is accommodating for example and like you know people with adhd don't have to fail out of school in fact like many many folks with adhd like excel in school when they're either accommodated or like you know or they're able to kind of like suppress uh, their needs. <laughs> so yeah, like, you know, like we talk about diagnoses, but really like, you know, a lot of this is differences. Like people with anxiety sometimes have like a great attention to detail and they will like, you know, excel in certain environments and never like, and, you know, not experience as much distress, but like, unfortunately the environments are made for, you know, a certain type of norm, which doesn't agree with a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to um, clarify one thing and, and offer another, I guess, kind of resource. I, I didn't mean to imply that you should not go to a hospital if you need mental health care. Uh, for some people, that is the option that's available. And as you said, it can vary. Like sometimes it can be better than nothing. Um, I was just, I've heard a lot of horror stories from, from friends and peers over the years. And like, I've even heard, as I've told you, I've heard some pretty awful things about CAMH as well. So mm. for my friend, I was like, I don't know which one's necessarily better, but this one actually has mental health in the name of the, like the organization. So to me, that seems like it would be slightly better. Um, but 
Yes, it sounds like things are just are starting to kind of level out in that situation, which I'm relieved about. But I also did want to mention um, in terms of like you're kind of saying like an autism positive and supportive um, like or, uh, environments and things like that made me think of uh, ASAN, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, which because um, like Autism Speaks is still getting a lot of attention and they are a bad organization that does not help autistic people. And just, I want to put that out there in case uh, you didn't know, you should look into them. Um, they don't have a single autistic person on their board of uh, directors, I believe it is. And uh, they used to have one and he quit because he didn't like how things were going. Um, so that should tell you something. Um, and that, and so anyways, yeah, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network uh, and there's, there's other ones as well. Like um, I think, in, in terms of kind of neurodiversity, um, yeah, a lot of the like the communities and the resources that are made by the community for the community are have been in my experience much better and more uh, helpful uh, and even like validating and and relieving and rewarding than than uh, stuff from kind of official channels. And I've even found the same thing in you know with in regards to like LGBTQ resources. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm sure you could you could probably speak to that as well. Um, but I yeah, I don't I know you didn't want to like go too too deep on this stuff, so I will I will continue us rolling along here towards the the end of the show. But I do appreciate your your insight and your um your feedback there. Um so yeah, the next question I have I've been asking about, and the premise of this one is um that failure can be a good thing. Uh, I think we're both we're both very aware of that uh, with all the different things that we've tried. Because uh, if you try things and you can figure out what's good for you and what isn't, and so I like to ask my guests, what is something that you have failed at in your life and failed at in the sense of like you know it didn't go the way that you wanted or hoped, but uh, you did learn something valuable from it. And what was it? And what did you learn? <laughs> I failed with my ten year marriage. So I'd been separated for a couple of uh, years and it's felt really devastating at the time um, for many different reasons, which I'm not going to go into. Uh, but uh, like that experience have taught me uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, valuable skills, I guess. But it's also taught me that like, you know, what you need, want and believe uh, will change over time. Probably. If you're if you're a human being who's invested in their own growth, uh, you will change. And sometimes people that you uh, choose will change with you, and sometimes they won't. Uh, but you know, like sometimes uh, you need to let go and you need to move on. And you know, whether it's accepting the new person who you know who is with you, or whether it's you know letting go of someone who hasn't uh, really changed. So I really like the idea of failing forward. It's a phrase that I heard from actually one of my clients. Uh, I love my clients. They give me such great insights all the time. Like I love having insights with my clients together. It's like the most rewarding part of my work. Uh, So, um, you know, uh, so I know from experience that you learn more from failing than from succeeding because succeeding, you're like, oh, all right, I do this, this one way and it works. But, you know, next time it might not work. But when you fail, you know, you learn, okay, like this, uh, like, you know, this is the, 
Um, so I find that like, you know, failure can like we when we attach value judgments to failure, like it hurts and it kind of like paralyzes us because shame is meant to make us stop whatever it is with, that we're doing. And like a lot of us, myself included, especially growing up in Russia, we have been shamed for like not succeeding. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm actually pretty proud of you know i'm actually pretty proud of failing some romantic relationships in the past uh <laughs> funny enough because i think that now i'm much better equipped to be someone's partner and because i have built this relationship with myself um that you know like it's i wouldn't say it's like a love affair <laughs> But, you know, I see myself as someone who is, um, you know, uh, smart, resourceful, um, you know, uh, loves kind of like, <laughs> uh, loves to like play and, you know, can take things seriously if needed. Like I see all of these qualities in myself that, you know, whoever, you know, whoever my partner is, uh they will be able to, you know, they will be able to appreciate those things about me, but they don't need to because I appreciate those things about myself. And it's helped me open up to appreciating other people as well, because it's really hard to appreciate other people when you feel like you're less than them. Definitely. Um, that's another lesson that that I kind of picked up more recently. Um and so, sorry, my I was just having a moment of like producer brain and host brain were kind of like uh, talking past each other. Um, um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think yeah, a few people have said similar things that you know, relationship failures. That's something, and it's it's absolutely true. And like when you were saying that, like you know, if you if you things always work the first time you try them, you don't learn anything. And I just instantly thought of like you know all the people quote unquote with born the silver spoon in their mouth and how they think like there's this 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 idea that you know that they've earned that what they have and then when they get to a point when like they suddenly actually experience real you know hardship or real uh, adversity and then they're just like well this isn't fair this has never happened before something's not right it's like no this is what most other people experience that you just haven't had to yet um so anyways moving on from that um Next question here, the last kind of official question, I guess, uh, that I asked to the, the guest. Um, we, so we've obviously, a lot of the different things that we've talked about uh, could fall under advice, certainly. But um, if we could to like distill, that's the word I was looking for earlier. If you could distill the advice down. Uh, if you could give advice to uh, a teen, a 30-year-old, and a grandparent, uh, it could be different advice for each group or the same advice for all three. What advice would you give? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I guess, you know, dear teenager... <laughs> I mean, honestly, sometimes I feel like I'm still, you know, like, but it's, it's really interesting. Anyway, to a teen, I would say that, you know, it's okay to be confused and not know what you want. Like, this is the best time to be confused and not know what you want, even though, you know, even though you really want to, you know, get on with life. But, you know, you don't have to have it all figured out, even though there's a lot of external pressure for you to do that. Like, you know, like pick your entire life path when you're 17. Like, 
I know that it seems it, it's, you know, like this is kind of that the hardest, like this is kind of like the most difficult part of your life yet. But, you know, one of the things that I want to tell you is like learn to be kind to yourself because that's a skill that you're going to need for the rest of your life. You can't, you know, hate yourself into being a better, healthier person. So, you know, if there's one thing that you need to learn, and I don't want to say need because, you know, I'm not your parent and I don't want to be your parent. (laughs) I don't want to be anyone's parents unless they agree to it. And then, you know, complications anyway, tangent, ADHD, wonderful. But like, yeah. Self, self-compassion is something that you'll need for the rest of your life. It took me a long time to learn. And I can't say that I'm fully there yet. But, you know, if I had known about it earlier, and if I, like, if I, if I, you know, like, I think I would be further along in life right now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, again, I echo a lot of the things that you're saying here. Um, yeah. So for the, for fellow 30 somethings and for grandparents? Yes. So fellow 30 something, it's okay to have made mistakes and you can unlearn things that no longer serve you. So now you have a lot more wisdom and you have a lot more autonomy than you did when you were younger and you can do better. I believe in you. And as for the grandparent, like I think it's important for our elders to know that they're not obsolete and that they can still grow and that they can still change. And that there are still like, there was an article I read that said that like older people might need therapy more than any other age group. I can believe that, (laughs) especially if they uh, haven't gotten any before, like a lifetime of baggage, eh? Well, because like, so I'll, I'll just, I'll be open about this. I, I don't mind admitting it. I think I'm currently on my seventh therapist in my life, maybe eighth. I've, I've had a bunch of them because again, it's about finding like the right fit and different phases of your life. And I had my first therapist when I was, I think like 16 and I was getting bullied a lot in school and I was very miserable and it definitely helped. And then again, kind of in my, like, I guess, early no i guess it would have been mid to late 20s anyways um i've kind of and now like more recently i actually had to switch therapists because the one that i was seeing was very a great listener and um very supportive but just didn't have the the foundation in like uh, social justice and and uh, intersectional feminism that was really crucial to things that i'm dealing with so um i was able to find a new therapist who does and I'm very thankful for that. Um, and I really loved your advice. Your advice, excuse me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, with that said, uh, now you get to the opportunity to ask me a question. And uh, you, unless you've changed your mind, I know you kind of already gave me a bit of a, 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 um, a hint uh, what uh, might be coming if you still want to ask the same thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, as I've decided to be more kind of like, you know, uh, to be more attuned to like what I want. And like, I'm really curious about, you know, uh, like what your first impression of me was and if it's changed since. 
Yeah, so you told me this probably, what, like a week ago or something, and I've had all this time to think about it, and I really kind of was like racking my brains, and I initially didn't remember how we first met, and you thankfully did remember, and so once you gave me that information, I was like, okay, yeah, I can I can kind of picture the, the scene again. Um, we met through a mutual friend, and I think what I remember uh, was just that you stood out to me. Um, and of course it was like a gathering of like neurodiverse um, and I believe like gender non-conforming people. Um, so, I mean, all of us kind of stood out <laughs> compared to perhaps average, but um, I, I just, yeah, I kind of remember, uh, just remember your, you did catch my attention also because like aesthetically your, your aesthetics at that time and still to agree to a degree, um, were the kinds of aesthetics that, uh, that, that grabbed my attention, uh, most easily, uh, anyways. Um, and I think as I've gotten to know you a little bit more over the years, um, like, cause I remember one time that you, I came over to your place and, uh, you were getting rid of a bunch of clothes and I ended up taking a bunch home with me, which was really cool. Cause that was early in my transition. And, um, I was always excited to find stuff that was in styles that I liked that, uh, that fit and that I could just, you know, have, <laughs> um, and now I think like we've kind of graduated to a point where I think I see us kind of more as like peers and, and friends and we can kind of like share and, and help each other. Whereas I think before I felt uh, a little more like I, back when my like kind of confidence and self-esteem were, were lower, I was much more like intimidated and like, I didn't want to like, you know, upset you or scare you off or something. Cause I did that a lot. Um, and like, now I feel like you, you're very like warm and compassionate, not that you weren't before, but again, my, my perception was, was, uh, was different. Um, I feel like if I try to ramble anymore, I'm just going to like say something <laughs> I don't want to say, but I, I hope that is a acceptable answer. <laughs> well, you know, I do have Russian face. It's actually my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, man, I'm trying to remember how many years ago that was now. That was, that was a while, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, I, I kind of always appreciate when someone does, put me on the spot a little bit and ask me something that I haven't already answered in some form already. Um, and that's also, I guess, a little bit of insight into me, a little bit more insight into me. Um, with that said, I'm going to uh, ask now, not sort of a question of you really, but uh, I'd like to try to highlight uh, charities and causes on each episode. Um, are there any specific charities or causes or organizations or even like people who are doing really great things that you would like to uh, bring some awareness to? That is such a difficult question because I know a lot of really awesome folks who are doing amazing work in different communities. Um, and I'm trying to be like cognizant, like I just want to explode with all of that. But uh, there have been good news. So there will be an emergency response uh, network in Toronto, which is like connected to 911, where they sought input of different marginalized populations. So it's going to be like a non-police uh, peer support service that responds to mental health crisis calls. And I think the city council voted it in. Uh, so it's called Reach Out uh, Support Network, I think. No, like something in Toronto. 
so it's going to be like a pilot project. And I've been really looking forward to that because unfortunately, like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, calling 911 when somebody is having a mental health crisis, a lot of times it's not even the paramedics as the police show up. And unfortunately, uh, incidents happen where um, people do not, you know, people are, end up traumatized or not surviving. And, you know, I'm speaking not only from like theoretical experience, I'm speaking from, you know, this is like, this is, uh, this is the most I'm going to disclose, but I am speaking from personal experience, uh, where a crisis call for me did not end well. Uh, and, you know, like, this is something that I will have to leave, like, uh, live with, uh, for, you know, like, knowing that, you know, knowing that police are just not equipped to deal with mental health crises. Um, so, um, I think it's great that there is uh, change coming, uh, really much needed change because, you know, I'm tired of reading all these names of people who have, uh, you know, who have died, uh, or who have been, you know, hurt. And, um, what else? Uh, like, um, I have, um, <laughs> I I try to always there there is a there is a secular charity in uh in India run by someone named Hemley Gonzalez who was a real estate agent in the US uh of Cuban origin I think uh, like Hemley if you're listening to this I hope I haven't you know like uh misremembered facts of your bio and he's just an amazing person. He was volunteering a long time ago at like missionary of, missionaries of charity uh, with Mother Teresa, like not with Mother Teresa, but her organization. And he's realized all of the abuses of power that went there and like all of the religious undertones. And he has made a really like from the ground up, he has built a charity where people are getting birth control, education, uh, all sorts of things. Because he is doing what he like, he's doing what he believes in, and uh, like I know many wonderful folks that are you know that are just like that, and like his charity was like one of the like like uh, whenever I feel like donating, his charity is always like the first one on my mind because you know our Canadian dollar goes like a long way there. Like I think like five dollars can feed a child for a week, and you know sometimes I feel like you know especially having been an artist on an abysmal income. Like I felt like I couldn't really afford to give a lot to charity. So that was like my option. Um, what else? <laughs> uh, Bad Conservation International. Uh, it's a U.S. based organization. Uh, but I mean, Toronto Wildlife Center uh, right here. I'm maybe hoping once the pandemic is over to like do some wildlife rehab, especially with bats. Very nice. Yeah, the the first one that you mentioned there, I remember seeing that I think on Reddit, and it was like that's definitely a super important step in the right direction. And I think I they were talking about how Denver in Colorado, the city of Denver, had already done something like this, uh, like I think starting last year or so, and it was getting really positive results. Um, because yeah, unfortunately, the the reality is that police aren't really trained to deal with mental health crises, and they often do tend to like escalate and, and cause harm. Um, so that's 
I'm really glad to hear about that, and I, I'm glad that council voted in, and I hope that it uh, it sticks around and possibly even gets expanded. Um, so that said, uh, thank you for all of those. I don't know if there's anything that you uh, want uh, want to plug or feel comfortable plugging, because I know that you're trying to kind of remain a little bit more anonymous, but uh, anything that you would like to, to share um, about yourself, like not about yourself, but like... Um, yeah, I usually ask about like any kind of like online presence or or any anything that you would like people to to check out. Mm, I'm kind of in the process of you know like more like building a more cohesive brand because like marketing hasn't really been my strength despite wanting to be like you know an advertising executive at the age of six. <laughs> so right now it's like all a work in progress. But, uh, you know, like if there is any text, um, like if there is any kind of text companion to this episode, I might, you know, I might eventually like include some like I'm trying to make an Instagram presence uh, basically based on, you know, based on some of the books I'm reading and some of the insights I'm having as a therapist that clients consent to like, you know, because sometimes I'll be talking to a client and I'll come up with something that's, you know, a beautiful statement that's you know or an affirmation that like rings true to me so like i would want to share that so i might be like i'm in the process of kind of like thinking about that instagram account i also make cat toys that are popular in toronto but some of them are not safe for work so like that those are those two are very different hats which i won't you know i won't talk about here but i will talk about in the bonus episode um and yeah right now i'm trying to like um like maybe like um, I don't, I don't want to be soliciting clients, uh, on the podcast as well, because, uh, my private practice is, um, uh, you know, pretty full right now because I have, you know, I have another job. Like I also work on a crisis line. So <laughs> there is kind of like, uh, I'm really, I do want to say that like, I'm really honored to be here and to be sharing myself with, you know, with you and with like other folks who are like watching and listening, but I don't know how I feel about having the visibility on a social media platform. It's, it's always optional. Like I said, I, I do understand that you are trying to uh, remain at least partially, you know, somewhat anonymous. And I, I didn't expect that you were going to be like, Oh, here's my Instagram, my Twitter, my blah, blah, blah. Like, um, it's always just, you know, and that's why I said, if there's anything you do feel comfortable sharing, uh, you're welcome to. So thank you for that. And yeah, of course, if you want to, uh, like I can always update the show notes in, in the future to, to add in any links that you might want me to, uh, as for my own stuff, uh, my, my list of plugs just keeps growing and, uh, I, <laughs> uh, I guess, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, so when you mentioned the private investigator earlier, I thought immediately of my book that uh, I just published recently, Parker and Tucker Private Investigators. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily that I've wanted to be a private investigator, like really intensely, but I am fascinated by that line of work. And I would love to in interview an actual real private investigator on this show someday. Yeah, I mentioned I have merch. So I'm on, uh, if you go to redbubble.com slash people slash artists creates, there's a bunch of designs there. You can get shirts, mugs, pillows, phone cases, stickers, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, so that's all there. 
Um, and I just started streaming on Twitch. This is a brand new thing I'm very excited about. Uh, I have to thank uh, Twitch streamer uh, Princess Prozac for kind of helping me get uh, get into that uh, recently. And um, I'm likely going to be doing a uh, kind of an extended possibly an extended stream tomorrow, which will have been in the past when you hear this. So, um, and yeah, as on Twitch, I'm actually planning to experiment with doing some like art stuff and I'm planning to, um, actually, where is it on this side? I am the mirror is messing me up. It's this side. So over here, you can see my guitar. Uh, the listeners can't, but the viewers can. So that is my guitar in the corner, which I've dug out recently. And I am planning to, try writing some brand new music uh on a, on a stream i'll see how that goes so um yeah uh so with that said <laughs> so something i've started to do i'm um, trying to encourage more um engagement and interaction with with the audience uh so this would be primarily for the youtube audience but um please do leave a comment about whatever your favorite thing that you learned or heard on this show was this episode uh, i'm really curious to to hear what people what's really resonating most with people or you know what's your kind of light bulb uh sort of moment um oh yeah so now we actually have to do the hat part <laughs> i almost forgot <laughs> oh see i it's been a little while since i've done one of these my life has been kind of erratic lately so i'm a little bit uh discombobulated but so you, I know what hat you're going to be wearing. You don't know what hat I'm going to be wearing. Um, but I, as always, I try to match the guest. Uh, and I have a special, this is going to be a repeat hat, which I try not to do normally, but there's a reason that I'm doing it this time. Uh, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I can go first. Okay. Uh, do I have to, like, I can just put it on now or do I have to disappear and reappear with a hat? No, you can just put it on. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> yeah, I needle felted it myself. I wanted to add some bats along the brim, but then I wasn't sure if I wanted to make the bats out of leather or out of like felted wool. So this is a sunset hat sans bats. Hmm. Well, <laughs> so I wore this hat originally for the Halloween episode and I am re-wearing it because I knew you were going to wear an orange hat and I knew that you love bats and this is an orange hat with a bat on it so um, I kind of have to hold it up but uh, <laughs> I, I just I love stuff like this it's it just this is excellent me. thank you <laughs> yes and we are both uh I, you, you told me that you were going to wear some form of purple or bluish purple or something like that. And because I knew I was wearing an orange hat, I wore kind of an orange undershirt here. And so I'm kind of like, we're, we're, we're coordinated uh, ultimately. <laughs> um, this hat does not like, it's also I'm wearing it over my headphones, which doesn't really work. So great, but, oh, there we go. Yay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that is that, and um, that is that with the hats, and the show has already gone very long, so <laughs> actually, I guess I should keep this on so that we um, can, yeah, I'll just do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for watching again. Thank you for collecting hats with us today, and uh, I would, again, if you want to leave a comment with what the latest hat that you've collected in your own life has been, uh, that would be very welcome as well. And we're going to head over now and do the bonus episode on Patreon. So that'll be another uh, six questions, another uh, 15 or so minutes. And 
Um, if you subscribe to that, then you get that plus some other bonus content. And yeah, and hatcollecting.com, at hatcollecting on social media. I'm Artemis Creates on social media. And uh, th yeah, thanks for watching. And until next time, stay curious and keep collecting those hats. <laughs>